what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. And welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm here with two-time guest now, Craig Mykoski. And we had talked, oh boy, I think it was a couple months ago when you were in Austin talking about brewing, talking about beer, and you had something in the works that wasn't quite ready for public consumption at the time. And I think it's ready for launch. And with that, public consumption. Was that scripted? Uh, no, no. I just kind of heard that on press releases or something. So, <laughs> so Craig, thanks for coming back, man. And uh, let's get into it. What do you got yeah, going on, yeah. brother? Am I, am I the first uh, first two time guest on your show? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Hey, do you start paying me at the third one? <laughs> as far as you know, yes. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you were saying, uh, last time we talked, I was in Austin. Uh, I was a uh, head brewer at Cellus down there, and um, it was about six months ago. Uh, yeah, like you said, I had I had something in the works, um, and, the, and a big reason why I didn't say anything about it then was it, it still at that point it wasn't fully real. You know, it, it kind of had gotten to the point where. There was a lot of talking and it looked like, okay, if we wanted to do this, we probably could. Um, and then, but we, we still hadn't pulled the trigger on, on doing it. Um, I think we were, I think I was maybe, I don't know, maybe six weeks away at that point from, from quitting my job and, and moving out here. Um, yeah. And so what is the, what is the announcement? Take me through what yeah. is going on in Georgia. Well, um, um, before, before I, I, uh, even took the job at Celis, <laughs> actually the day I was about to take the job at Celis, I got a call from, um, a buddy of mine, uh, he was actually in our wedding. He was, he was my wife's friend from high school. And, and then we got to know each other at UGA. Um, but, uh, he called me up and he said, Hey man, there, there's some beer laws that are about to change here. We got a, a group of guys together that really want to put something together, but we need somebody with brewing experience. And we really think you're the guy. And I'm like, man, I, I, uh, tomorrow about to quit my job in Fort Worth to move to Austin. And, and it's just not, not the right time for me. And, and there's uh, you know, I, and my, and my thought process at that point was I'm going to move to Austin and I'm going to be there for five plus years just because you know, that's how I want to go into any job and, uh, uh, as a long-term thing. Um, but uh, things didn't work out in Austin, uh, I think, uh, for a lot of reasons. Personally uh, and career-wise, I think I, I, I learned a ton from it, mostly um, uh, rushing into something and uh, going full full blast and, and really just trying to make it work by working 70, 80 hours a week. And you think you, you maybe work up to a hundred hours a week and maybe it actually will work. Uh, and I think that by doing so, we, uh, we didn't get our personal life straight at all because I was just working so much. And, and, um, the personal life 
just never really meshed well with the career life. And uh, I think at that point is when we, we realized we had to kind of take a step back, reevaluate and see, you know, is Austin the right thing for us or not? Or we have this offer that we think is still on the table because six, six or eight months ago, I got a call to do something and turn it down then. But called um, called the guys back up and said I'm you know I'm still interested. Things just aren't working out for me in Austin for a lot of reasons, and I want to see if they're still interested in it. And they were. So we we talked for a while, going back and forth, maybe maybe a couple months, and uh, then we decided to do it. So really, just kind of moved out to Georgia um, with not. You know, honestly, it wasn't fully put together at that point. And, um, um, it, you know, it probably never is for for anybody starting a business. I think that's the thing that I just had. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I, yeah, I, I had I had to get comfortable with that, you know, for somebody who's never started a business before, uh, even, even anything small, really. Um, I, I helped start the, the brewery down in Austin that they – they already had the place built and, and stuff like that. I was just the first guy to actually get on the brew house. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't comfortable with that thought that we just got to go and see if it's going to work. Um, and that, that was a massive, um, I think, mental hurdle for me that I think my wife was probably a lot more willing to take just because, personally, things weren't, weren't going well for us at that point. She wanted to make just have us uh, do a big change. So, uh, so he said, okay, we're going to, I think we're going to do this. She's like, well, good. Cause we're, I already have our house listed. <laughs> 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 like you do. <laughs> okay. She, yeah. The realtor is coming over tomorrow. She's going to take care of it. And I think we sold our house in like a week. <laughs> uh, for, I mean, our house actually sold before it went on the market. Um, but from the, the, pro- the point in the process, it took about a week to, to have a buyer lined up. Um, so sold a house, um, and then after I sold the house, then I went to sell us and I said, Hey, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to move on. Things aren't working out for me here. Wish, wish all the best luck. And they're, they're real appreciative of, uh, of how I went to them and just explained my situation. And I tried to leave it as, as in good a hands as uh, I possibly could. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that. I, I think uh, when any if anybody were to do this, if they ever are able, um, something that I, I learned early on in life because I, I did it wrong was just try to uh, not not burn bridges because you never know and you have to go back to somebody for a favor or um, maybe there's somebody you want to hire from that company or you want this doesn't work out and you got to go work for them again or something. You just have no idea. So uh, really just try to make sure that was as uh, clean and easy of a break as possible for both sides. Well, and that's wisdom, right? I remember thinking back to a job I quit back in the early 90s. Like I just flamed a couple and people. You want, you want to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, ultimately, I made my decision to get out of there and it's something that you'd be like trying to change the post office, right? Like it's an institution, it's big. And if you're leaving, you don't like the game, you don't like the players go find another game to play in. And yeah. And ultimately I don't think it made any difference. Like the people I had 
issues with had left, you know, a year later. So it, it all tends to work itself out. So, um, before we come back to that, so what do you got going on? So I'm guessing it's beer related in Georgia, right? Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So start starting my own brewery in Georgia. So I've worked at, um, four different breweries at, at this point. Um, so we're out here right now. Um, uh, and I, I think it starts something definitely has to, to figure out how they can make sacrifices and, you know, and, and what the logistics are doing that is, you know, they, I, there's definitely the romantic part of starting a business that I think most people think about, like, you're just going to go out and do it. It's just all going to work. But there, there's, uh, you know, especially when you have a family, you have to think about, okay, where, how much money do we have in the bank? What, what's, uh, how can we save money on, on uh, living costs? Because there's going to be, you know, at this point, I think we're, I, I just start, it started getting paid in January. Um, but uh, there was a, a six months gap there of no pay. Um, for me, at least my, my wife picked up some part-time work, uh, working for the school district here. Um, but, uh, so you got to figure out the logistics of, of doing that. So coming out here, um, we, uh, moved in, <laughs> upstairs at, uh, my wife's parents' house. So me, uh, my wife, kid and dog, uh, they, they took us in and, uh, uh, you know, so that took care of uh, a lot of living expense right there. Um, and uh, we're starting a brewery in Atlanta, so that's about an hour, hour north, uh, maybe hour and a half north of Macon, uh, where we are now. And uh, we we found a location up there. We're starting a brewery. It's called uh, Round Trip Brewing Company. A um, little bit of a play on us leaving Georgia for for ten years and then coming. <laughs> um, so we, uh, but that was a whole fiasco too. I mean, finding a name in the, in the beer market right now is just incredibly hard. And we actually had to come to an agreement with Anaheim Brewing Company uh, to actually get the name. Um, but found a location. We have a lease in the works. Uh, we should be signing on the final lease agreement here in uh, the next uh, seven to 14 days. And uh, everything's kind of moving along now. Uh, <laughs> the first, Five months, I think there was there was barely movement, but now that um, there's actual money and a physical property, now things are are moving along. So the the building existed, but this is kind of interior ground up to turn it into a brewery. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, so the building before, uh, really cool old uh, industrial building. It was it was built in the fifties by uh, Zep Chemicals. And it was used until till last year for Zep Chemicals. So solid structure. Um, anything built that long ago, they they built um, to last a long time. Um, and it is also built to be a, a, a you know liquid processing plant. Same thing we're going to do. We're we're doing a food processing, but there, there's a lot of the same same things that had to to be there for that. Um, so, you know, there's already four drains. There's, there, we were surprised. We opened what we thought was a closet and turned out to be a full lab that they just left for us. That was, that's a huge deal for us. Um, but it's in the, uh, the northwest side of downtown. What they're calling right now is the uh, upper west side. Uh, all, you know, all these, you know, it's like Denver, too, or, or any, any um, big city that's repurposing an old industrial part. They got to name it so it becomes more of a trendy area instead of the old industrial park. You got to give it a, you know, throw a name on it like Rhino or something. 
Um, and what's that one called, Craig? This, guy, this is Upper West Side is what okay. they're labeling that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, uh, I think 20 years ago, that's where he used to get shot. Um, same, same kind of deal as Rhino in Denver. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, there's, it's kind of the brewery district now. I think there's uh, currently four breweries. There's two more that are in building and so when we come on there'll be seven or maybe there'll be another one too so um with i think uh probably within a mile and a half of us there's yeah five or six breweries right now oh that's really cool yeah. well something you had mentioned i want to i want to come back to the brewing laws in a second but you had talked about um I, I talk about this with my son all the time kind of about banging your head against the wall and there's a difference between persistence through struggle and then just knowing that it's not ever going to change. And we talk about that because he's a senior at CU and you know, it's, there's frustrations and there's things like that. And it's that wisdom and that experience and sometimes just a guess where it's like, man, is this just a tough patch or is this something that is never, ever going to work out? And, you know, good on you for giving it, you know, you're all for a while, but recognizing that it's not going to be a fit. Oh yeah. With Austin. Um, yeah. And I think I was trying to make it work a lot more than, than honestly my wife. I think she, um, you know, because he tried to, when you have a family, you know, you want to make sure you provide. And, and I had some, you know, I had some family members that said, you know, you really shouldn't go off and try to do this thing in Georgia. You have a, a well-paying job that, you know, it looks like they, they have a lot of backing. And, and uh, so the smart thing, as far as like conventional wisdom, it would have been to stay uh, good benefits and, and all that stuff. And uh, my wife, she just, she just, uh, wasn't going to have it. I mean, she, she knew that it was the one opportunity, probably the best, maybe, maybe not the one opportunity, but probably our best opportunity to go do something on our own. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I probably credit her a lot more than, than me at that point where we were to, to get up and move. And, and I just had to kind of tuck my tail between my legs and listen to her and, and jump in the yellow Pinsky truck and, and drive to Georgia. <laughs> well, women are way smarter than men anyway. And so a good idea <laughs> is a good idea. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say you're tucking your tail between your legs. It's just an opportunity. And yeah, it, it takes courage to make those decisions and recognize that it's not working out and it's time for something new. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, so the brewing laws I don't know a whole lot about those other than they're so different and kind of ridiculous. And as an example, um, I had some friends that used to live in Oxford, Mississippi, and you couldn't buy <laughs> beer in Oxford unless it was game day. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like even local or state liquor laws, there's this sliding scale that's kind of like, eh, whatever. So what... Yeah. So interpretive too. It's like whoever the local, you know, uh, like Texas has has the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission. It's like just whoever your local officer is, they can just uh, just interpret it however they want. It, it's just bizarre. It's 
But uh, yeah, so I mean, there's so many stuff that's kind of left over from Prohibition that's been kind of uh, changed a little bit to, to keep up with modern alcohol and or, uh, you know, for the most part, the distributors really driving what, what is allowed and what is not allowed because it, it has very little to do with like public safety or public service. It's, it's really mostly to keep whoever um, uh, has control money-wise happy and uh, make sure that the public isn't, um, uh, <laughs> they, they make sure the public is thinking they're being serve the best deal even though it, they're really looking out for uh, the major corporations which are usually the distributors um, sometimes some of the big brewers get involved but you know the big brewers are, are pretty well tied in with the distribution network anyway uh, so what so what changed <clears throat> excuse me what changed in georgia that was the the tipping point for you guys yeah um so september of 20 17 was it yeah september 2017 um the law went into effect that you could um sell beer directly to a consumer over a bar at a production brewery um and also at the same time a brew pub or a production brewery could sell uh beer to go up to a case equivalent per person per day um so so those two things going to affect really change our mind and not just our mind we're, we're seeing a big uptick of uh, brewery openings in georgia right now and as far as uh, percentage wise i'm sure it's the most in the country right now so it's such a major law change uh, i mean it's still restrictive it's not like we're it, we can we you can, still can't sell somebody a keg out the door like colorado um but uh it's loosened up a lot so right now Funny enough, Texas is going through the same thing. They have the uh, Texas Craft Pack, uh, so the Craft Political Action Committee down there. Um, the, uh, they're they're trying to do the same thing, and they're, they're what they're doing is they're pointing directly to Georgia, saying, "Hey, all these things worked out for Georgia. Why can't we have it in Texas?" So Texas right now is the last state in the country to um, that you can't sell beer to go at at a production brewery. So. Um, by allowing that, it really changes the game here. Um, and, I, and, and honestly, it's so much better for not just brewers, but it, it's, it's way better for consumers. And in my opinion, it's actually better for the distributors because um, now since you can sell some kind of specialty small batch stuff straight out your door, you really don't care about sending some obscure you know, um, one-off beer to a distributor for them to have to figure out what the heck this thing even is. Uh, they can really just focus on some of your core brands and driving those out in the market. Because um, they, they have to deal with so many SKUs at this point anyway. They don't really want to bring on a bunch bunch more. So I, I think it's it's been a great thing for, for Georgia, for everybody. Well, whenever I see things in business, whether it's losing a deal or le- legislation or stuff like this or people just acting kind of strange. I always try to trace the money. And so oh, if yeah. there's something that is not quite adding up, so in this case, like I'm sure it's the distributors not wanting to pop the lid off that revenue channel, but honestly, like, it does, you know, it has no effect on them and, and, and might actually do better for them in the end because it'll just drive craft awareness 
and, and they know, and I'm sure they were sold this, and they, uh, you know, they have all kinds of analytical mathematic guys that are looking at numbers for them, uh, or looking at other states um, as examples. But um, uh, and all, all the bars know it too. I mean, that's what this is. That's why you see so much more craft beer at places where you just cannot see it because they know, hey, if more craft beer sells in our portfolio um, per ounce, we're going to make more money because that product is bringing in more revenue uh, per um, per unit. Um, so, however, they can drive that business the better. But it goes back to the problem is is the big brewers are even though it is a technically a three-tier system they are um, still very involved in the decision-making process of uh, the distributors so um, it, it's a it's a strange game and there's a, a lot of gray area there <laughs> well and uh <clears throat> take me through just the the business model of that because i think i know it so if you're a brewer whether it's round trip or coors you make the beer, stick it in a can, and then what happens after that point, just generally? Um, so generally at that point, it'll, I mean, it'll usually go into your personal cooler for, um, you know, immediately up to call it a week until the distributor wants to come and pick it up. So the distributor, they'll come to you, um, they'll say, hey, this is our order for you know, the week or whatever it is. And they'll take a mix of whatever product, take it to their warehouse. They sit on their warehouse floor. They, their, um, their delivery guys will pick up whatever the order is for that day and they take it out to, to the bars. So, and they get paid and the distributor will, will pay you for the beer. Um, so the distributor pays you no matter if the, the final customer takes it. But um, I mean, that's the general outline of how it all works. But I mean, other, and that's, that's the, and like I said, that's the very general, generalized way of looking at that. But there's so much as far as, you know, what product gets pushed by who's incentivized that month, what brewery is putting up. Um, some kind of promotional deal for for the salespeople for the distributor. Um, you know what product do they lead with? Uh, and especially with Anheuser Busch having ten breweries right now. Like I said, it's a three tier system, but a lot of these distributors are started by Anheuser Busch breweries, and they still have an eagle on top of the building. Uh, so they're still, you know, um, grandfathered into that mindset. So they are probably going to push those. 10 craft breweries even though they're owned by Anheuser Bush you can't see my quotation marks because this isn't a video <laughs> but um yeah I mean so that's where the generalized way of doing it uh, I mean it, it becomes a lot more muddled and um and gray as to how it actually works in in uh um, and how it's written up as law and how it actually works as two different things you know how how we how we get customers to, to try our product instead of the one that's being pushed by Anheuser Busch um, because it's under their umbrella is a, is a strange thing. Um, yeah, so it's it's that that's the, the interesting game of distribution and uh, one that is uh, is a tough tough one to crack. 
So these, these wines of the month club and beers of the month club, how do they, and, and if you don't know, that's totally cool, but I was just curious, how do they get around shipping like across state lines and, and doing all that? Is that you know, wine laws are different than beer laws? <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> different. Um, it would, wouldn't it be great if I could just pack up some beer and send it anywhere I wanted to in the country? But there, there's there's a way of doing it. Um, there, there's a company up in uh, Washington called Tabor. Um, so we, at, when I was at RAR in Fort Worth, we would send them a pallet of beer, and then they would mix it up with some other brewery stuff and send it to um, anywhere around the country. They probably pretty states that they had. But there were like 20 states still, even though they were a third-party distribution company and not sending it direct from a brewery. There were still like 20 states that would not allow allow that business model. So it's a it's a federal thing, but there's also so many weird state laws that are just like I said, they're blue laws that are, that are still in effect from from prohibition times that um, that are um, you know favorable to distributors, at least in their mind. It, I mean, you know, uh, call it you know 100. 100 200 boxes of beer going to a state's not really going to affect a, a distributor's business much but you know they 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 want to grasp onto and protect themselves in, in any way possible and they have a, a lot of money and a lot of lawyers working for them so i just had this idea for your launch when round trip finally gets going is you got to reenact smoky and the bandit and fill a semi truck full of your beer and then get it to California or Colorado and then they have a Trans Am and just record it and just make it like your, <laughs> your internet viral marketing. <laughs> Great. And probably a lot of lawsuits immediately too that we can't afford. <laughs> so we already don't have enough money to actually build the brewery. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking on uh, online now. They went from Georgia to Texas uh, within 28 hours. So you could, uh, <laughs> you wow. could go from, could do that. yeah, from round trip back to your, your friends at, at RAR and then whip it around. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Kickstarter, buddy. Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be head brewer again. And what, just based on your experience from your last position and your just overall brewery experience, what's going to be different? with business and brewing at round trip yeah um so, and that was a big thing i wanted to get into this uh that um has been really beneficial for for me uh, as far as figuring out how this is going to work you know taking taking time off in between working all the time and then just uh moving out here on a whim trying to figure it all out um there is a lot of downtime uh, when you're not doing day-to-day stuff so you, you really have a lot of time to kind of think and and talk to people and read a lot of books and just kind of uh, rethink uh how it should all work um so there's there's a model a lot of times i think business guys um that haven't been in certain businesses that see just opportunities like you know, really like the last 10 years, um, a lot of people got in the craft beer industry that weren't brewers before they were business guys that said, hey, craft beer is hot, we got to get in. So they go for basically a traditional business model of what everybody else has done, which is 
uh, how fast can we make it? How fast can we get the distributor? And how far can we ship? Um, so we're really going to see that and say, hey, uh, we're, we're selling all of our investors on that. A lot of people have done this and it, there's a lot of uh, pitfalls that can come for this, uh, mostly beer quality um, and uh, not getting to know who your consumer is and not allowing your consumer to know who you are before your beer gets out in the market. Um, you're, a lot of guys' beer kind of goes on the shelf and just and just sits there and there's just another can that nobody really has a connection to on the shelf. <laughs> so the brewery that I've always looked to for, for a lot of things as far as culture goes has been New Belgium. Um, and we talked about New Belgium, I think, on the last podcast, how much I like them. Um, but their culture, I think, is incredible. And uh, when somebody sees a six-pack of New Belgium on the shelf, um, you know, maybe not everybody, but I think there's a lot of people that have uh, more of a personal connection to them than a lot of other national breweries or, or even regional breweries that, um, that all you know about them is that they make beer. Whereas New Belgium, they, they know uh, that it's a really fun place to go, that it's employee-owned, that there's wind power, that they're doing all these other cool things. So for about the first um, 12 months, even though we have a production size facility, um, we are not going to do any outside distribution. Uh, it's all going to be over the counter. We're going to try to get as many people to the brewery as possible through, through different events and functions. And then after this kind of get to know you phase, then we're going to phase into the market through some draft beer. And then after, after that, then we're going to go into packaged beer. So it'll not only be better for our consumers, but I also think it's going to be better for uh, us as brewers, um, you know, whoever I bring on as well, we'll be able to figure out our system, uh, what beers we want to make and be able to dial those in um, to uh, whatever specs that we want before we push that to the market. And then also, I keep going on to the distributor, how, um, you know, they're getting all these SKUs and there's kind of this fight with them. But I want to make sure that our distributor, whoever we, we end up choosing, is uh, getting not only getting the best possible product they can, but not just in a sense of the liquid, but also in a sense of uh, who they're bringing on as, a, as an entire company. They're bringing on a brewery that has a, um, has a presence in the market before it even hits the market. Um, so... And, and a lot of times this will kind of happen organically, say if a brew pub or a really small brewery that never has any distribution plans, all of a sudden wants to have distribution plans, but wasn't really in the model, you know, it can kind of happen that way. But we are setting ourselves up for that um, uh, strategically uh, going into it day one. So in 18 months, we're going to have beer on the shelf, but it's going to be in a lot better position than uh than if it happened another way well it gives you a lot of credibility when you're when you're talking about those sales channels too you can go to the distributor you can go to even if it's not your job to go to a a restaurant or a bar and say just take a look just check us out on social media or ask your friends and and it's about i've always said this too in sales it's about removing risk for the people you're going to do business with and if you've built up that base and it's organic and 
it's word of mouth, it might be slower, but it's kind of like pouring a concrete foundation and it's the opposite of everything you said about get as big and as far as fast as we can. It's that's the model. I think, uh, you know, like I said, I, I've had a lot of time over the last six months to, to, to think about how I want to do this. And, uh, I've listened, you know, you have a good podcast. I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts, uh, business podcasts and, and marketing podcasts. And, uh, and I've, I've gone through with, uh, with other brews in the past, um, kind of porting VC groups. And so, um, I know that it's it's more the business guy mindset instead of the the craft mentality of hey how fast can we grow this so that we can entice a VC group so that we can sell this thing out <laughs> it's like it, it's totally opposite of what the craft beer uh, industry started out uh, in the in the mid uh, mid eighties early nineties which was you know we want to make a really great product and this is all about community and uh, you know we want to grow a really great business. Uh, to support our our family and friends and have a good time doing it, and so I, I you know I hope it I, there there is going to be a, a business aspect, and I think it and I think it's fine that there's um, more of a business minded aspect than than back in the earlier times of craft beer, um, but at the same point I, I just hope that that um, process or that outlook on the on the business doesn't get lost. Um, and, and everybody's just trying to sell out. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that slows down or even goes away. Well, it was something that always frustrated me when I was in the bike industry is that there were so many people that were bike enthusiasts or bike artists or, you know, they, they yeah. just weren't business people. Right. And when I'd be talking about risk, ROI, about, you know, eyeballs, click through social media, all that, Mm-hmm. It just fell completely flat, and it's sad to see that these guys can't manage their and, and passion. You can't, you can't manage a business that way, and uh, you know you you have to you have to have success financially to keep your you know to do awesome things, right? Um, um, hey, I was actually uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago listening to my cousin's uh, podcast. Um, that he did um, for uh, Donald Miller uh, uh, story brand podcast. And he, he, he went into that exact same thing, which was, you know, you can't, you can't do all these awesome things if your business isn't successful. Um, you can't just be, you know, just, um, and it's, a, it's the same thing with, with beer. You, you, you can't just make some really awesome beer, but add just terrible management process, you know, uh, <laughs> process. You know, because then you can't make batch two. Well, and it, I think we maybe touched on this before, is that it's like bands, right? Everybody wants their yeah. band to be playing the small concert halls right. and just kind of like your secret little thing. You have that personal relationship. And I've seen it with bands. I've seen it with beer. I've seen it with whatever. Somebody gets popular and they're like, Oh man, they suck. You know, they sold out and blah, blah, blah. And they never turn it around on themselves. Like, let's say that your (laughs) boss came to you and said, Hey, you've been doing a great job. We're going to 100 X your salary and your scope and your responsibilities. And they just don't look at it that way. And, And 
New Belgium is one of my favorites. I'll still get like 1554 or whatever they have. And there was a cross race up there in November and just, it was on the grounds at the the brewery in Fort Collins and just, it was a great place to be. They, they had a culture, like everything you had said was a, a wonderful place to hang out and who could not like that? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's, that's people, that's what they do. Right? It's it, everybody hates a winner. <laughs> yeah. But the great thing about new Belgium as a winner is they're, they're still privately. I mean, they're employee and they're, they, they, uh, uh, everything that I think of is, is craft beer, um, mindset and culture. I, I just keep looking at new Belgium, uh, as still being independently owned and getting to do what they're wanting to do. So, Let's go to the beers that are going to be brewed at round trip. And I'll let you know that I've been doing dry January and I'm a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's a really bad thing for numbers in January. Yeah. So next year I will do a dry February just because there's oh, still a ton of events and uh, and I'm actually going to have my first beer on Saturday. So even though it's going to be February 2nd, I'm going skiing and I don't want to go at altitude and then be hungover on Friday. So where I'm going with this is if you would like to get into very, very detailed granular descriptions about the beer that you're going to brew, it would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, that's that's just like um, you know putting my thoughts together as far as um, uh, business wise. I don't want to do this. A lot of the beers are still kind of um, up in the air, and they're just kind of floating around my mind. I you know I I haven't even been homebrewing since moving out to Georgia. I, I've uh, just now now that we kind of have a little bit of traction. Um, I'm I'm uh, starting to brew with. Um, or I have some brew dates set up with some breweries around Georgia to go help them out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is, I mean, six, seven months out of the brew houses. I haven't done that in 10 years, which has been kind of nice to step away and kind of read a bunch of brewing books and kind of reevaluate how I want you to want to go back into the brew house. But um, one, one thing I've always um, told my investors that I want to do is uh, I want to do German styles but I want to do German styles that kind of uh, not way outside the box, but kind of hit that just um, just kind of outer realm of what German styles can be. Um, <clears throat> I think when you start going too far out of the box out of any classical styles, you get so far away from it that it becomes something completely different. <clears throat> but there's there's still a lot of room there in, in between, you know, trying to do extremely classical styles and way outside the box that there's a really good uh, kind of fit there for us. I just, I, um, I did a, a bunch of really great German styles um, in, uh, in Fort Worth when I was working at RAR. Um, but uh, unfortunately we had some really old equipment. So it was kind of hard to hit some, some specs that I wanted to hit on a lot of beer. So now that we're bringing in some newer equipment, hopefully that we can, uh, we can hit some of those specs a little bit better. So anything from, you know, we'll probably still do some of the classical German styles because I, I really like them, especially 
um, being a brewer over in Germany. Um, uh, I think mostly just because I want to drink them. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, kind of explore the outer reaches of what German styles can be to. But at the same time, I want to make sure our marketing aspect isn't so German focused that we just look like um, an older style brewery that that's that's all we do and we can't get outside the box. Kind of like, uh, um, you know, I hate to single them out because I really like what they do, Prost up in Denver. Well, it, it's going to be really hard for them to get outside of, of brewing anything else in German styles, even though they like German styles, just because all their marketing is geared to for them being an extremely classical German style brewery. So we'll we'll play outside the realm of German styles also, but I think uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to, at least in my head at this point in time, is, is going to be uh, what I described. Well, and there's there's value in that for your customers, right? You're not. <clears throat> um, excuse me, I had a, a discussion with a woman that designs jackets a couple weeks ago. And she said that every time you make a design decision, you exclude somebody. It's not intentional, but you're filtering out tall people or short people or people that like uh, fruity beers or smoky beers or flavored beers. But in doing that, though, I think you gain the the people that are of your similar mindset, it makes them more sticky. You have a tighter bond with those people because it's like they're doing what I like. And yeah, you might not be brewing for everybody, but the people you are brewing for, it just goes narrower and deeper. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, craft beer is all about personal connection, right? They're, we're not trying to make one beer that is for everybody like what, what the big guys are doing. We're trying to make, we're trying to hit certain things that certain customers like. And, and at the same time, maybe even trying to push their limits of what we, they think they'll like. Um, we're trying to push the limits all together and do something completely different that nobody's ever done. Uh, which other people gravitate toward because they want to try something that they've never, never even thought of before. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that what, whatever we do, it's um, we're, we're going to make, uh, make sure we try to make as close to or try to hit flawless um, beers um, that are really clean and drinkable. And at the same time, um, um, try to do some some things that nobody else is doing so when you do these and if experimental is not the right term please correct me but if you do like an experimental or a variation on german beer the beer law the beer requirements aren't as strict as germany do you have to describe it then as german style or german inspired like if you're doing a something like that what's are you under any obligation to describe it a certain way yeah, under under some um, some labeling laws, some some federal labeling laws, we have to to have certain descriptors on there, or there's some descriptors that we're not allowed to have on there. I think strong is something that you cannot have on a label. Um, when you when you have that tap room, you can pretty much say whatever you want. But when it goes to labeling stuff, um, there's just some terminology that you can or can't use. Um, and, and the funny part about Germany is that they're really actually all those restrictions that they that everybody thinks they have they don't they don't have those anymore those that all went away i think when the when the eu formed they they kind of made them get away from that because there was going to be other beers entering the market at that point 
Um, so I mean, they can they can throw in whatever hops or any kind of crazy stuff they want. But Germans Germans still think that brewers in uh, in the U.S. put chemicals in their beer. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I I'll, I mean I'll say it again. Anything regarding beer laws, uh, there's just so much gray area there, and you just gotta try to navigate it. Huh. So what state is the, uh, or what condition, like where you at in the timeline? So when is the, when, when is the first tap going to be, uh, flowing at the brewery? Um, so at this point, if we, uh, so it's first day of February, we should, um, uh, we're, we're, the lawyers are looking over the, the final lease agreement. So lawyers are awesome, aren't they? <laughs> they love, they love taking your money and drawing shit out. So, sorry if this if I if you have to bleep out the. That. No, no. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so all that's going through. We should be um, everything looks good. We should be fine that. Um, and then uh, starting build out after we get all the drawings and permits done. Um, plan is to start build out, um, call it first of May. Um, equipment comes in um, during July and uh, should be brewing on it, call it first of September, uh, with a uh, mid October um, opening date. Um, and like I said, it's, it's just going to be over the counter at, at first, um, at least for the first six months before any draft goes out in the market, but uh, probably more like nine to 12 months before anything even leaves the brewery. But yeah, you'll, uh, you know, or uh, you're, you're invited to come. <laughs> Let's do a live episode there. That would be great. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Just in time for SEC football. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So on the, on the brewing, so you've got tons of brewing experience and you, you set up the new system, you follow all the procedures, all your, um, I would say, let's say scientific brewing procedures, all the tribal knowledge you've picked up. And what's the degree of confidence you have that that first batch is going to be what you want and be drinkable? Can you still follow all that stuff and still have it go sideways? Um. Yeah, I mean, anytime you're you're getting on, I mean, I've said this is uh, the fourth brew house I've been on. So um, anytime you get on a new brew house, all of your calculations uh, will be kind of, they'll just be a, a big wide range. And then I would say um, after you brew on it, maybe 10 times that, that range gets narrower and narrower. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the first beer is going to be drinkable, but is it going to hit perfect spec? I, I mean, it's not going to, there's, there's going to be little, if any, flaws in it. But as far as hitting perfect analytical specs on alcohol or, or IBU or something like that, or I mean, I'm almost positive it'll be off on that. Maybe color will be a little high or something like that. But drinkable, you know, absolutely. I don't, I don't see any reason why it'd be drinkable. It'd be like a new sh a chef that's, you know, any any chef that's been in the in the industry ten years going into a new kitchen, they're gonna make some good food, right? But is it probably right. gonna be exactly what they envisioned when they got in that kitchen? Uh, probably not, but it'll still be good. Yeah. Does the brewing equipment does it get seasoned like a cast iron skillet? Does it develop no, more character? 
I mean, you learn it and you kind of figure out its little, its quirks and where it likes to, to give you trouble. Um, so you just massage those things out, you know, sometimes work a little bit different if the cooling aspect works a little bit um, different than your last one. But now as far as, I mean, you, you, we, we try to keep the equipment as clean as possible all the time. Cool. Yeah, and it's because it's it's stainless, right? It's all the right, tanks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, stainless, and we're using caustic and acid on it. You know, between batches. Cool, cool. And then, how do you decide the beer names? Um, just I know that the labeling there, there was there's a documentary that I wanted to see. I guess there's like one dude that controls all the beer labels in the in the U.S. Is that still the case? I don't know if it's one dude, but it's. Um, I mean, it's. Uh, everything gets registered. I mean, it's it's any kind of other trademark that process has to go through. So we we had to, uh, like I said, we had to come to an agreement with Anaheim Brewing, who had a they had a beer called um, Round Trip Double IPA, and they I mean they registered this thing with a with a trademark. Uh, what it, I can't remember what you call it off the top of my head, but the uh, um, trademark bureau they they like four months before we tried to <laughs> like, oh my god because i mean and i there's it wasn't that bad when i first got in the industry there were a thousand breweries and people weren't even like trademarking their beers because it was like you know nobody was paying attention to craft beer that much but now people are like trademarking beer names like even if they just think of a name <laughs> right then you have six thousand breweries with probably seven thousand in the next six months and um everybody wants to make sure that they have their name secured and uh, i mean it's unless you just call a beer ipa and even then if you like use the same looking font as a different brewery you're gonna like get a cease and desist so <laughs> i mean it's incredibly hard um i i mean most of my beer names that i thought of it's it's either been like i'm like it's like 3 a.m. and I'm still at the brewery and I'm just delirious and I think it's some crazy thing. Or, I mean, you can sit around the table and throw out a bunch of names, but 98% of those are be taken. I, I mean, it's been hard and it's just going to get harder. So I, I don't know where it stops or, or what. Um, there's some breweries that just come to an agreement and say, hey, you're on one side of the country, I'm in the other we're not going to get into each other's markets. We can both use it. And those are usually the best situations. And that's actually what we did with Anaheim Brewing. We said, Hey, uh, we'll, we'll, it, as long as we can have, you know, the name to be able to sell, you know, anywhere we want, we have no problem with you still selling that beer in Southern California. And it's just, that's the agreement that we came to. Um, so gosh, yeah, names are, I don't even have an answer because I think it's harder. <laughs> um, it, it was hard for us at RAR. And when I was there, there were 4,500 breweries in the country. L luckily, most of them are really small and a lot of them are, are only taproom driven. But because uh, so, anything in a taproom, I mean, you can, even if some other brewery has it, you can, you can use it without anybody noticing. But packaging stuff is extremely difficult. Well, that's why, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to change the name of this podcast. I thought I was being super clever with Burn the yeah. Boats. And then I was going to upload an episode last year and I just threw the name into Google and instead of going to SoundCloud. And then all of a sudden there was like three pages of search results with Burn the Boats. And I was like, 
well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was being super clever, and I poked around at a couple, and there were some that had. Yeah, it's like anytime you're trying to be, you know, you think you're clever, you're trying to, I mean, any kind of like pun name. I mean, God, if you try to take hop anything right now, it's just no way. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so you kind of have to try to not be. I think the key maybe to finding a name that sounds pretty good is is like, not relating it to anything beer related and not trying to be too goofy kind of some somewhere in between and then you're you'll probably find something right well this sounds awesome and i i had written down here on my my notepad that i use during every episode and just i just underlined sacrifice and Mm -hmm. i think it's a small sacrifice to move in with your your in-laws and and do that it's not a step backwards it's a it's a step and it's a step forward and sacrifice yeah, generally and, pays off so it's great yeah, i mean we're, we're close living quarters i i am uh i've been able to take my daughter to school and pick her up a lot more than i had been in the past um hang out with her more and so that's priceless but so much you know i think all the negative things are, are a lot of negative things that people think about and conventional way of thinking as far as living situations but man it, it, there, there's been so much positive that I, that I took over the past uh, six seven months uh, we're, we're about to move up to Atlanta now that we we didn't want to move up until we found the location because we wanted to be pretty close where the brewery was so um, that allowed us time kind of a time buffer to figure out a lot of Oh, you there? Sorry, yeah. Sorry. I think I got you now. Yeah. Did you get did you get that last part? Yeah, uh, about moving close to, so we'll yeah, yeah. we'll we'll fix that. But um yeah, man, I would love to come and be there for the opening. And I actually have a I made a commitment last year, a friend of mine named Ryan Helms, who I believe is in Georgia. I'm not sure what part, but I had committed to come visit him and, and do an episode with him because he's uh, been a really good friend and a, and a good business influence on me. So perhaps I could um, shift my commitment to him to come out to Georgia from, I think it's March to when the brewery opens and we'll just have a big old party out there. Yeah, sounds great. And the more people that know about the brewery that, <laughs> that, that don't, the better for me. So um and if anybody wants to rent it out it's up for rentals sweet <clears throat> so uh round trip brewery in uh mason correct i almost said macon but no well the no the brewery is in atlanta oh, okay but okay. yeah we're, we're, we're just we're based in macon right now got it okay cool well i will put up uh links and images and all that when i post this and i'll i'll do a quick turn on this for you craig and let's uh Let's drink some beer. Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited. Well, thanks for reaching out and uh, being a two-time Mikoski. This is awesome. And uh, man, I wish you all the success in the world. You're just a good dude and um, great product. And I just love your mindset. Yeah, thanks Thanks for uh, having me on again. Absolutely, brother. Hey, Denver. If you are in tech and IT, you need to be at sea level at mile high. This event is brought to you by the Colorado Technology Association. It is Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. 
at Broncos Stadium at Mile High. The Colorado Technology Association puts this on. It is their largest fundraiser to support their initiatives. And it is a really cool event. I have attended several years now and have made great friendships, great business connections. And it's unique in that the CTOs and CIOs from the largest companies in Denver are celebrities. And you actually bid on the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one. But beyond that, it's just a cool event in a very awesome space. So take a look at coloradotechnology.org. Get signed up. And again, that is the sea level at Mile High, Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. And uh, I'll look for you there.